Hello, I'm Hans Lee from Livewire Markets, and you're tuning into Signal or Noise, the podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by Australia's top macro minds to explain how you can make money from a top-down perspective. If you're confused by the data or a little lost in the headlines, this show is for you. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to our show and the Livewire Markets and Market Index websites. And a reminder that everything you're about to hear is information only and not advice. So with that said, let's go. Hello, I'm Hans Lee from Livewire Markets and welcome to Signal or Noise. Now, believe it or not, the ASX 200 and the Australian 10-year yield are back roughly at the levels as when the RBA handed down the first rate hike of this current cycle more than a year ago. But the big question is, how long can it last? Let's bring in the panel for this month's show. Simon Doyle is the CEO and CIO at Schroders Australia. Mark Garner, CEO and Head of Equities at MPC Markets. And Deanna Messina, as always, Deputy Chief Economist at AMP and our series regular. Great to have you all on the panel. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure. Let me start with, a, with an opening question, if I can. What is the hardest question? When, when you all talk to, to clients, to investors, to prospective clients, what is the hardest question you've been hearing from them? And how are you answering it? Simon, I might start with you. Well, I'm not sure it's the hardest question, but certainly the most common, which is where is this recession that we're we're hearing so much about, we're expecting, but we can't see. And I think it is a bit of a tough one to answer because we've seen a fairly significant rise in interest rates, but in a world of, I guess, instant gratification, the fact that the unemployment rate is still very low, uh, you know, people still have jobs, uh, it doesn't feel like there's a recession. So, you know, I think we, you know, we need to, it does take a bit of time. Economies are messy. There's leads and lags involved in policy and its impact on the economy, and you know. So I think it's you know it's it's yeah wait it's coming. Uh, depends where you look. There's evidence of it, but be patient. These things take time. Yeah, it's the most predicted recession and the most postponed recession of all time. Deanna, what what question do you hear from investors? Simon Stoll, my what what I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. but I, I was actually going to add to what he was saying and also say the question is why equity is still rallying, especially in the mm. U.S when we're expecting a recession to be imminent really. No one, no one knows when it's going to start. It could be six months, could be 12 months. And my answer to that is usually before recessions, equities can rally up to the point where you get a recession, then there could be a 20 or 30% correction. But up until now, the economic data suggests that we're not in a recession yet and there's still a little bit more room to go before we get there. Well, it's a little bit of the, the price for perfection thesis until otherwise known, right? Mark, what's the, the question you're hearing from investors? Yeah, a combination of both of those, really. Um, essentially, we have been talking about it for so long now. And, um, and even if you tell clients at the time, look, these things take anywhere from 12 to 18 months minimum to, to feed through to the real economy. Um, you know, they, it's very hard to explain the difference between, you know, Wall Street and, and Main Street in, in terms of uh, the data coming out and trying to be predictive there. Um, and look, I mean, the market obviously got very ahead of itself last year and um, dipped down to those depths and, uh, and bottomed out in the middle of June. But um, yeah, as, as was said before, we, I mean, we do tend to have a bit of a rally into when the actual recession starts to really, be, or those interest rate hikes and things start to really bear teeth. So, and then we, we, we start to say, you know, that's where the significant downturns happen. So. It's um, yeah, it's it's hard to explain um, why we you know, why you're being defensive and it's um, you know, from a client management standpoint, it's really difficult to uh, you know to explain to clients that being patient is the best way to go when they think they're missing out. 
Patience in a world of instant gratification. All right. Well, speaking of hard questions, our first topic is to do with the hard data and the different messages it's been sending. So we're going to start this by flashing up a series of charts that each tell some very different stories of the Australian economy. And for anybody listening in on the podcast, we'll try and illustrate this as best we can. Here we go. Let's start with the data that the investing bears would prefer to look at. First up, inflation, which on a year-on-year -year basis in Australia is still at 7%. We do, of course, have a monthly inflation indicator. That's at 5.6%. But it does continue to remain relatively lofty, and it's certainly well above the RBA's 2 to 3% inflation target. Secondly, Australian GDP fell to just 0.2% last quarter and has not been above 1% now since the fourth quarter of 2021. Then there's business and consumer confidence. Business confidence, as you'll now see in this chart from the NAB, it's been in a downwind trend since last year and conditions are catching up slowly but surely. And then there's, of course, consumer confidence measured by the monthly Westpac Melbourne Institute survey. It's also looking very poor. It's actually hovering at around recessionary levels and it's been there for some time. Now to the charts that the bulls would rather you see. And the first is retail sales, year over year, still up more than 4%. And as you can see, it's in pretty much direct conflict to what consumer sentiment has been telling us. Then there's the labor market, where the unemployment rate remains remarkably low. Now, of course, migration will have some impact on this over the next few months, but the fact that it's remained below 4% since that April-May 2022 level is pretty remarkable. And finally, the composite PMI for Australia it remains in expansionary territory. That is, of course, a reading above 50. And it helps to imply the GDP can still tread water above zero for now. All of this is just a very long way of saying that the data is incredibly confusing and hard to read. So here's my question to you all. Is this where you all take investing signals? Or is it all just a lot of unnecessary and unhelpful noise? Diana, signal or noise? I the issue is that some of these economic indicators are leading indicators, some are lagging, and some are coincident indicators of the economy. So you need to keep that in mind when you're analysing those, and that's what you would do from an investment point of view. And we still have to look at the economic data. So these economic indicators that you've just shown to us, they're still signals about what's happening in the Australian landscape. The overall story, though, is... I think that the leading indicators are showing us that there is going to be more downside from here. If we are already at a point when the, un when the GDP numbers are showing that there's some weakness, but it's not at a point yet where we're going into a recession or a, or a significant downturn because the unemployment rate is still in fairly good shape. So we, we, we need to look at these, in at these indicators because they're still important. Uh, but you need to keep in mind how they coincide with the economic cycle. All right, so signal with a caveat. Quite a few caveats, actually. Yeah. All right. Mark, signal or noise? Uh, look, it is very noisy at the moment, obviously. Um, and I think it comes back to the fact that a lot of things have changed in the world since, you know, uh, since the pandemic. I, I really feel for economists in terms of the fact that they... I mean, there is no historical reference point, realistically, for, for this. So at the moment, I would say it is noise. Um, the overall signal I would be taking is more probably going back and looking at, you know, the historical rate hike cycle was probably the, uh, the overarching factor at the moment for me. All right. So noise from Mark and some sympathy for you, Deanna, and your profession. So, it's been a hey, that's time, different. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Simon, where are you going to go on the signal or noise? I, th I mean, I, th I agree with a lot of what's been said. I mean, I think, you know, probably just make two sort of, you know, I guess, additional or kind of summary points. I mean, one is I think all those data things just highlight that economies are complex, they're diverse. 
um, there's lots of different influences any, at any given point in time. And I think, um, you know, that sort of, that messiness does make uh, understanding, it, you know, in real time what's going on, you know, quite, quite difficult. Um, I guess the second point is that they're all largely, you know, I think backward looking indicators. They, they're great. They're, they all tell us, A, what the problem is in terms of inflation or B, where we were. They don't actually tell us much about where, where we're heading to. And so I think I would probably say individually, their noise, um, there is some signal, um, but I wouldn't read too much into those th that data for, th for those reasons. Yeah, all right, understood. So the noise at the individual level, so we, we might take noise for that, but I, but I understand where, you, where you're coming from as well. Deanna, Simon was just mentioning there, and you were mentioning there as well about you know lagging and leading indicators. I was wondering if we could do a little bit of education around that. You know, what, what's the difference between the two and you know, wh why do investors need to be able to distinguish between the two? Well, a leading indicator is something that usually happens before an economy turns. So things like, uh, if you think about the labour market, things like job advertisements, hiring intentions. That's why business surveys are really good because they give all different reads of different components of how businesses are feeling, both in terms of prices, orders. That's why people like looking at the PMIs. So things like business surveys, building approvals, which tells you the potential for housing, consumer sentiment, those tend to be the best leading indicators of an economy and actually the share market as well. When you do a model, a leading indicator of the economy, a lot of, a lot of um, forecasters use what happens in the share market actually because that tends to lead what, what happens in the economy. A coincident indicator is something that occurs at the same time. So maybe things like retail spending and a lagging indicator is something that normally turns at the very end of when you see a turn in the cycle. So the classic one is the unemployment rate because people don't tend to get hired or lose their job until you're really starting to see the motion of the economy turning either to the upside or to the downside, which is why, yes, labor, we, when we look at the labor market, we're seeing that yes, the labor market is in a really strong shape at the moment, but it, it is showing some signs of cracking, things like the um, job hiring and labor intentions from business surveys are starting to rise, number of job advertisements is, is, is falling. So those to me are forward-looking signals that the unemployment rate is going to turn from here. So the unemployment rate is a lagging indicator of, of the economy. There you go, everybody. Your primer to economic data. You're welcome. Let's move into a completely different kind of signal and a completely different kind of topic. We were talking about how the share market is sometimes a signal for the economy, even though it is not the economy. The stock market. And if you paid any attention to the headlines on this website, or frankly anything in the financial press over the last six months, then you will know that AI and artificial intelligence have taken the market by storm. The big seven tech stocks, or the magnificent seven as they're now termed, make up something like 28% of the S&P 500, and their year-to-date outperformance, which we'll put now on screen, cannot be denied. But this is an Australian show, and this is the Australian multi-asset edition of Signal or Noise, and Australia's stock market is different from the US, right? Well, that's where we put up this chart and burst your bubble. This is the ASX All Tech Index, now that line's in blue, versus the ASX 200 in the last six months in red. What do we find? The jaws between the tech sector and the wider market have only widened. So, is the old adage about narrow market breadth a signal that this growth asset rally may be nearing its end? Or is it all noise and should you just ride the chart higher? Mark, signal or noise? Uh, I think I think this move from the Magnificent Seven, which is now going to name, will probably cause another 5% rally. Um, because everyone loves a catchphrase lately. So 
Uh, I think it's definitely noise. Um, we've we've seen the uh, the Nasdaq add nearly three point eight trillion dollars to market cap or something in the last um, in the last two or three months. Um, best expectations um, of what AI is going to add to the economy in North America is around about three point seven trillion by twenty thirty. So, realistically, we we've really the horses sort of bolted way way too early. I think on these things. Um, I really can't see you know where the valuations are. I think. Uh, Sort of late July when we started to see those quarterly updates from the US, um, well, I think we'll really see those things come back down to earth. Australian tech sector is very, very different. Um, it's fairly high quality, not quite as high, you know, high PEs as, um, as what's going on with the likes of NVIDIA, for instance, at the moment. But um, they quite often pay dividend. Um, very profitable, so uh, as are most, you know, most of those Magnificent Seven. But... The, th- those, those seven stocks realistically are holding up the entire market. Simon, what do you think? Signal or noise? No, I mean, I, t- I tend to agree. I mean, we've seen, we've seen this before, mm. um, you know, and I think we're, you know, we're in that environment where we're not seeing uh, profits generally collapsing. And I think that's partly um, due to, you know, inflation's helping, you know, non- the top, top line um, growth has actually held up quite well when, you know, whereas volumes in a lot of stocks are actually, a lot of companies are actually starting to moderate. So, you know, because you're not seeing that collapse, there is still that inherent, um, uh, you know, I guess, desire to kind of put money at t- to risk in the market. And I think because of the AI um, story, uh, you know, that's attracting a lot, a lot of interest as it often does. But I mean, if you take those stocks, I think on average, they're, they're PE, oh, in, in sort of market weighted terms, their market cap weighted terms, they're trading on around about a 30 times PE. But stocks like Nvidia, I think are like 200 plus Times. There's a lot of earnings that actually has to come through there. The, mm. the other sort of 495 odd stocks in the US market, I think the PE is something like 17 times. So still high relative to what you would expect for the sort of level of uh, inflation and the, the likelihood of recession. So I think the broader market is still vulnerable, but you know, if things turn, you could see quite a repricing in that sort of top end of, of the market. And Australia is just a very different market. You know, they're global stocks. Our stocks don't tend to be as broad. Mm. We're much more exposed at a market level to banks, commodities, and so on. So, you know, we've been probably trading, Australia's probably been trading as you would expect in the lead into recession. It's the US that I think has really been the outlier in those few stocks. Okay, interesting. So it, it's actually noise on, on that count as well. It's not just where the US is trading. It's also, you know, the, the fact that we've yet to see the, the lasting uh, if, if you like, lasting proof of these corporate earnings in these in these stocks as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we will see. Problem, we our expectation certainly is as economies start to weaken, and we would expect that to happen more materially through the second half of this year and into early next year. You know, you'll see earnings uh, adjust, and I think that will be a bit of a wake-up call for markets. Okay, all right. So we'll, we'll call it two votes for for noise. Deanna, what way are you going to follow this? I'm going to say short-term noise, long-term signal. Ah, okay. If I'm allowed. Yeah, you, you may. <laughs> Explain. Uh, in the short term, yes, maybe the rally has gone a bit too far. We obviously saw big falls in tech um, shares last year. Maybe this is a bit of payback for then, and obviously a lot of exuberance around AI. But from a long-term investment point of view, we're not really sure how when the benefits of AI will be actually adopted by individual businesses more broadly, you know, in, in, in an everyday sense. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty about that. Will it be five years, 10 years? I don't know, but it will be adopted in some way sooner than what we were expecting a year ago. And I think that it makes sense to have exposure to that from a long-term point of view, because it will improve pro- pro- productivity growth. Well, hopefully it will. 
Um, and it's also unclear as to which specific companies will benefit from it. Will it be the old tech companies? Will it be new companies like NVIDIA or, or, or other type of semiconductor manufacturers? Uh, that's also really unclear as to which specific company benefits. So then it, again, it also makes sense to have exposure to a broad range of companies in, in the index. For topic three, uh, we're going to take a look at the risk of an Australian recession. We're going to actually do this in a couple of ways and with the help of a couple of charts. First one is a historically big fall in oil prices, and that's generally been a good precursor to a US recession, I guess, in the, in, in the past. And while it's actually not shown on this chart, the Brent crude price is down nearly 30% in the last 12 months alone. So you can consider that. Now consider this next chart, which is the Australian two-year yield versus the Australian 10-year yield. And what do we find? The Australian yield curve has not only inverted for the first time since 2008, but the jaws, to use that term again, are getting wider. So here's the question of the panel. You look at those two charts, you look at, you look at everything that we've been talking about so far. Are these two charts another set of signals that the RBA's time has actually run out? Simon, signal or noise? Well, I wouldn't read too much into the oil price because there's a lot of other things going on there. And mm. I guess lower oil prices can actually be helpful, um, particularly in this inflationary environment. The yield curve, I think you ignore at your peril. Mm. Um, it's historically been a pretty good predictor. So I think there is definitely signal uh, in, in that. Yep. Okay. Signal for, for you there, Simon, and especially around the yield curve. Deanna, where are you going to fall on this? I'm going to say signal as yeah. well, uh, especially around the yield curve. I mean, in the Australian market, the yield curve hasn't been the, as good of a predictor of a recession as the US yield curve, but at the same time, we haven't had as many recessions as the US in the past 50, 60 years. It still showed when we had a bit of a slowing in growth, but not necessarily a recession. Uh, so I'm going to say signal, and also because I think the risk of a recession here is very high, I'd say it's a 50, 60% chance in the next 12 months. Okay, 60% in the next 12 months, and higher if the RBA keeps going, another 25, another 25? Well, we think that they'll go another two times from here, so taking the cash rate to 4.6% at least, and that assumption about a 50% chance of recession is based on those on those estimates. Okay, interesting. Mark, where do you fall on this? Signal or noise? Yeah, I, I agree with the oil comment. I, I don't think it's a, I mean, I don't think it's a great indicator because obviously, yeah, cheaper oil prices obviously will help. Um, but the inverted yield curve, absolutely. But the depth of the inversion, particularly in the US, I mean, to go beyond 100 basis points um, hasn't happened for a very long time. And if you take out those, it's an even more reliable predictor. If you take out those instances where it just had a shallow dip, um, it's, I think the stats are even more reliable predictor. It's particularly down here, and the recession doesn't generally start to bite into the economy if you line up the charts historically until the yield curve's bottomed actually and starts to start to head back out. So that's where the, um, and if you, if you overlay equity markets on top of that as well, that's when the equity markets really starts to, to start, starts to come back. So the US yield curves, after the banking, um, the banking issues back in sort of February, March, we'd, we obviously, we spiked back up there for a period, but it's just ground lower and lower and lower again. And I think central banks really, they want to almost break something and in, in to make sure because you don't want to deal with inflation um, and, you know, the long-term effects of that. So I, I think, um, you know, that's something that we have to be as deep as we've been for as long as we've been is one of the more reliable indicators. So definitely a signal there. Okay. Simon and Mark, I want to draw on something that you were talking about earlier, having a lot of dry powder, having a lot of cash on the sidelines. Let's, let's say you, you think about your, your portfolio as a whole, right? If you think of one portfolio is, is 100%, how, 
How much are you holding or would you be recommending to clients right now to be in defensive investments like bonds or, or cash right now? Simon. Well, I mean, it, it's hard to generalise, but I guess in our portfolios that have no benchmarks, so more sort of objective based, we probably have up to around a third of the portfolio, maybe a little bit more in cash. Um, the other thing we've been doing is yields have risen generally has been adding duration, so having been very sort of underweight duration, um, you know, bonds are starting to look more attractive. And I think if we do go into recession, um, they will perform, uh, they'll perform pretty well. So, you know, quite, quite defensive. You know, the flip side of that is, you know, we're quite underweight, quite lowly weighted uh, in equity markets. Okay, so at least the third in cash plus bonds. That's that's very interesting. Mark, what are you what are you talking to? Yeah, we're we're roughly around there as well, to be honest. Um, probably twenty percent bonds, um, and then somewhere around the ten percent cash mark. Um, obviously, we're using bond ETFs though, so we can we can almost treat that like cash and be be out of it and and um, in you know reinvest into the equity market. So. Um, and look for those that are more adventurous with the, you know, they've, they've got um, short, short NASDAQ ETFs on. So it, um, yeah, it's a very defensive and then a, a strong focus on, um, you know, a strong focus on healthcare consumer staples, um, particularly, and then almost as a substitute to holding the banking stocks because banking stocks don't, or particularly I would say Australian banking stocks won't do well in an inverted yield curve. Um, because a lot of it's lent out at you know at lower rates than what they're having to borrow in the um, in the wholesale market. So we're sort of holding you know banking hybrids um, in, instead of the but which we will intend to you know into flipping the banking stocks in the event that there's a there's a pullback in the market. So so yeah, it's, it's just a defensive way of reflecting roughly the same view. Still, there's still a lot of confidence in the uh, in the banking sector, but it just seemed. Yeah, I, I do. I do think we're going to have a, you know, it's, that inverted yield curve is really going to affect their profit margin. Before that net interest, that that NIM really improves for them um, once the yield curve starts to head back up again. So, so yeah, it, but I agree. Yeah, anywhere around that thirty to forty percent mark, I'm fairly comfortable with at the moment, as long as you know portions of it are yielding. And a lot of what you were both saying there is a lot of convertibility, a lot of optionality into cash, which I think is, is very important. Yeah, you're getting paid for that option now. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. And as if 10 charts in the main part of this program were not enough, we got four more coming. It's time for charts to watch. Deanna, your chart, I mean, all these charts are actually really original, so I'm really interested to hear how you all explain these. Your chart is the performance of various asset classes in line with the investment cycle. So can you walk us through this one? Sure. So the ups and downs in the investment cycle coincide with better or worse performance across different asset classes. Since it's a multi-asset special, I thought it was just fitting that this chart yeah. um, is, is, is in line with that. And at the moment, we're coming down the cycle. We're not at the bottom yet because the bottom would be the time that we're in a recession or a contraction or severe contraction, I should say. And at this point in the, in the cycle, we normally see that equities don't do so well and bonds do better, which we are starting, oh, I mean, we, we have seen that over the past 12, six, six months, really. I mean, I think the US situation at the moment with the tech stocks and NASDAQ um, throws a bit of a spanner in the works. But generally speaking, I think equity market returns will be more constrained in the next 12 months. Still positive um, until we get to a recession, but more constrained and bonds will do better. And then you get to the bottom of the cycle and that's when you start to see different asset classes perform differently. So it goes to the point that diversification is also key because different asset classes will perform differently at various points in the cycle. And I note your red line as well, that we're coming to the end of a good period for real assets. So that's that's really interesting in and of itself. Well, that tends to happen when uh, real, real assets really benefit from 
very low interest rates. And that's exactly what we've seen over the past 30 years that real mm. assets, both property and infrastructure, have performed extremely well. And we're starting to see more of the unwind in those valuations, especially for the property market at the moment. All right, perfect. Thank you very much. Mark, you've gone to the equity market for a little inspiration for your chart. We're talking peg ratios, <laughs> specifically price to earnings growth ratios. So maybe if you could explain a little bit what that ratio is and why it matters to you as an investor. Yeah, so PE to growth ratio. So um, essentially the chart that, I've, uh, that I put up there pretty much shows that we've uh, the peg ratio for those, you know, for those tech stocks particularly has... Um, now blown past the 2001 highs. So it really is sort of, it backs up that point that we were making earlier on um, that you know, valuations are getting way, way ahead of themselves. Um, the grey sections are uh, obviously periods of recession as well. Um, and then there's inequities, there's obviously the um, index overlay there. But um, yeah, one to have a look at. It's not, um, you know, it's showing a whole lot of things on one chart, don't get me wrong, but, but mainly that, um, now, companies like Amazon, for instance, yes, they've survived. Um, you know, they were they were not profitable back in the 2001 tech bubble, and and weren't profitable for years after that. And you can just sort of see where we're having a similar sort of run in terms of um, people can see the forward benefit of those companies and the forward growth in them. They've just priced it in way too fast, and uh, and you know, and and then essentially it goes it sort of goes over the top to the upside, and then peels back down to normality. So we're um, yeah, just showing, as Greenspan described it, a rational exuberance at the time. So uh, I think we've sort of got a little bit of that going on at the moment. And um, the fact that it's actually blown well through those, those, uh, those periods. And, and I, I must admit, uh, hearing some of the young, young guys uh, who trade crypto and things, it's very similar sentences being used as the ones I heard, um, you know, in the, in the tech bubble in 2001. So... It, um, yeah, it's sort of my spidey senses have got me a little bit concerned <laughs> there. So but, um, that's just a really, really good way of showing that, you know, we're, we're just pricing a little bit too much too early. That's, that's a terrific chart. Thank you, sir. So we've got follow the cycle. The price you pay is important. Simon, you've got the, uh, the oldest adage of all in financial markets, I guess, in a way. Past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Walk us through this chart and tell us what it says to you. Okay, well, I mean, there's sort of two charts here, and it probably, mm. probably does tie, I guess, those points together. Um, the, the first chart really just takes roughly 120 years of uh, a 60-40 portfolio. And I guess the key, uh, well, there's a couple of key messages there. I mean, one is, if you look at that, it's all, it returns are all over the place. So there is no normal um, rate of return from a 60-40 portfolio over that sort of 120 years. You look at periods like the 1970s where inflation, uh, you know, was you know, a real test for policymakers and markets, you know, returns were all over the place. You know, it, it made it a very, you had a lot of volatility, um, you know, lots of movement in, in returns. Um, and I think where we are now, we've had a good period of returns for those sorts of, uh, that sort of strategy. Um, but, you know, we're now starting to see that, that sort of moderate. So I think we just need to be careful about, about extrapolation and I guess recognising that, um, you know, I think there could be some, some challenges ahead. The other, the, the other chart, um, you know, I guess just really looks at the correlation between effectively bonds um, and equities. And, you know, I guess makes the point that, you know, in periods of disinflation, like we sort of saw, you know, through the 90s, sort of 2000s, you know, bonds were, you know, a good diversifier um, in portfolios. But as inflation started to pick up, that's really been a problem. And I guess, you know, where, uh, you know, I guess where, where things go from here um, will have a really uh, important impact on sort of how, how portfolios um, sort of play out. So, you know, in diversified portfolios, you're actually getting a return from owning bonds. Um, but, you know, whether they'll be as good a diversifier um, as they sort of have been in the past, 
um, you know, I guess re remains to be seen. But I guess, you know, the key take is, yeah, don't, don't extrapolate the past. The future will be quite different. Um, you know, and maybe we need sort of longer term, yeah, long, longer investment horizons to be sort of confident in, in those strategies playing out. Welcome to the new normal, whatever that is. That's it for Signal or Noise. Can I just say a big thank you to our panel, to Mark Garner and NPC Markets. Thank you, sir. Simon Doyle from Schroeder. Good to have you aboard. And to Deanna Messina from AMP. As always, thank you very much. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and both websites, Livewire Markets and Market Index. We are back in a month's time with your definitive macro guide to the August reporting season. And we'll see you then. <laughs>